1: Move past little things, because you never know when it's going to be the last time you say see that person or talk to that person
0: when she left this mm-hmm. world, she left it with a very open heart towards everybody. These stories, yes, they're, they're they are interesting to listen to, and I totally understand it. Um, even being interested in the you know the graphic details and all that, I totally get it. But mm-hmm. I just want people to understand that these are real people. Um, who had families and friends who, who continue to grieve. Welcome back to A Million Other Choices. I'm your host, Kim. If you missed part one of this story, or you're just joining my podcast, please go back and listen to part one first. This is my personal story of the murder of my niece, Taylor. So it's an important one, and one that you don't want to miss any part of. Just to catch the rest of you up, Dustin Duthie have been arrested, and Taylor has been found in her Applewood Court apartment And the bodies of Sean and Alan have been found deceased in their Hidden Valley home. And that is all we know at this point. We didn't know anything. The police and the prosecutor, who was Shane Parker, the same Shane Parker from the Douglas Garland case, couldn't tell us much because they were still investigating. We knew that Dustin had called the police himself. But we didn't even know how she died. There was some mention from someone about a knife at his parents' place, but we didn't know for sure. Joanne and I had conjured up all kinds of horrific ideas in our minds of her being beaten and stabbed and left to bleed out on her living room floor or something like that, calling for help in pain. And then to our horror, we were also logical enough to know that she had been dead for six days before she was found in a hot apartment with the heat running due to her stupid furnace being broken. Which leads me to the greedy landlord that called Joanne harassing her for the rent that was due on August 1st. She passed him over to me, so I nicely lost it on him, when he started saying that she was late on her rent and that he understood that maybe now wasn't the best time, but that her rent had been due, and I said, yes, yes. She was dead on the 26th, so paying rent likely isn't going to happen. Then he started to go on about how she required a damage deposit because they had to replace the carpets. And I just immediately (laughs) cut him off saying like, do you think we really want to hear these details right now? I was just really disgusted with him. And now this has nothing to do with Taylor's case. I just wanted him called out. Landlord of unit 307 at 2000 Applewood Court. A preliminary inquiry was held in January of 2020. Joanne, my mom, and some other family members just weren't up to hearing and seeing the evidence, so they had planned a trip to Hawaii during that time to just get away. I, on the other hand, marched into the courtroom every day with Cecilia in tow because we had to know the details. I remember Shane Parker trying to get us not to attend on crime scene photo day and autopsy day. But we were there. Now, it's not like I had to see those photos. I could go the rest of my life not looking at autopsy photos, especially of my niece, but I needed to see him see them. Now I can't tell you very much about the preliminary hearing because any evidence and testimony that was said during that time, it has a publication ban on it. But what I can tell you is that he walked into the courtroom and his blue jumper with a teardrop tattoo under his eye. And it wasn't there when he was arrested. So it seemed to me like he was making himself pretty comfortable in jail. The trial was set for most of March 2021. A number of us had taken leave of absences from our jobs because we all planned on attending. Only stupid COVID was again rearing its ugly head, so space for family and friends was severely limited. So we were in the process of emailing and texting back and forth of who was going to attend on what days, when we got a call from Shane's office telling us that at the last minute, just before they were starting selecting a jury, he had decided to enter a guilty plea. We were thrilled not to go through the grueling process of a trial. Dustin pled guilty to one count of first-degree murder for his dad, Alan, and two counts of second-degree for the murders of his mom, Sean, and Taylor, on March second, two 2021. Based on the statement of facts and conversations with Taylor before she died, we know the following events took place. On the early morning of July 25, 2018, Dustin and Taylor fought, and he took her phone away from her. On a side note here, we know that Dustin had agreed to go into a rehab facility based on Taylor's conversations with Grandma. And like you do when you start a new diet, on the eve, you eat the entire fridge and order an extra large pizza. I guess the same goes for rehab. Before you go, you do all the drugs. So Dustin was super high, super agitated, And likely in drug-induced psychosis, because we know that he was susceptible to that. Dustin was a user of meth, so sleep and eating would have been very low priorities. And a lack of sleep can make you do all kinds of crazy things. Not that I'm making excuses for him. I'm just giving you a sense of what his behavior would have been like and explains what Taylor would have meant in her texts about him being messed up on drugs. The following evening around 11.30, Dustin returns to Taylor's apartment, and between then and 4.03 a.m., they are seen coming and going from her apartment about three or four times, probably for cigarette breaks. Dustin was a chain smoker. At 4.03 a.m., they enter her apartment And sometime, between then and 5.14, Taylor undressed and got into bed to go to sleep. They laid together in bed in a spooning position, and for reasons only Dustin knows, he started to choke her. He then reached for his hunting knife that he'd carried with him and slit her throat with the six-inch knife. She would have died within seconds to minutes. He left her, laying face down on the bed, covered her nude body with the bedsheet tucking her in, and then left the apartment, locking the door behind him, with a bed and bag on wheels which he was using as sort of a suitcase, in which he had put a bloody towel and one of Taylor's socks with blood on it. Taylor's autopsy report determined that she suffered a 17-centimeter cut across her neck moving upwards left to right as it would based on her laying on her left side with Dustin coming over her from her right. 17 centimeters, just so you know, is about the distance if you extend your thumb and index finger. So ear to ear, basically. The cut severed her jugular completely. So fortunately it would have been over for her very quickly. She likely would have lost consciousness within seconds. There were also three blunt force injuries reported, one small bruise on her left upper arm and two larger ones, one on the front right of her head and one on the back of the right side of her head. There was evidence of bruising, but no injury to the skull itself. There's no way to know if this was a bump on the head from an accident or something that had been done to her. Dustin returned to his parents' house where he was living in the basement with his two dogs. Dustin stayed hunkered down at his parents during this whole time. At that time, living in the house was Alan, Sean, and Jordan who was 17, Dustin and the four dogs, three of them pit bulls. Fortunately, Jordan was sleeping over at a friend's on the morning of the murders of his parents. Over the years, Dustin's relationship with his parents and siblings was somewhat volatile due to his drugs and petty criminal behavior. But his mom was really trying to help him. In fact, Sean had reached out to my mom in early 2017, asking for help and trying to get the two of them away from each other so that Dustin would maybe go into rehab. During this time, Dustin wrote in several notebooks, the contents of which have not been released but he wrote a five-page note and then ripped it up, crumpled it, and wrapped it in several layers of tape. The ball of tape was initially not thought to be important as evidence, but when Dustin's siblings had Dustin's vehicle returned to them, it was in the trunk, and they turned it over to police. The police painstakingly tried to piece the note back together again. Most of it is completely incoherent, and even if I could read it all, it would likely just be ramblings. But the first line reads, I am an admitted murderer. In the document, you can pick out the word demonic. And the prosecution honed in on these words that were kind of scattered throughout the document. In bed, spooning as she liked, I reached around and squeezed her neck. Pure want of blood, I ran my blade across her neck. Wanting to feel cold steel run through human flesh, that urge to feel the soul of another human being leave their body. The autopsy report does not report any evidence of strangulation, as the hyoid bone was still intact. But it would have been impossible to tell based on, well, the nature of the injury that directly killed her, and the level of decomposition after six days alone in a hot apartment. The letter helped Dustin get the extra 10 years over the mandatory 25 because it showed... Kind of like we talked about in the Douglas Garland case that the murders were not connected completely and for different reasons. For Taylor, it was for bloodlust, just a desire to kill someone. His mom out of rage, which we'll get to in a minute. And then his dad to eliminate a witness. The only people living at the house in Hidden Valley during that week that are alive now other than Dustin is Jordan. But it was summer, so I don't know if he was around that much. It sounds like he was a very active 17-year-old with football and was popular with his friends. Dustin was likely trying to cover his tracks a bit by acting worried about Taylor. And based on what we know about Dustin and where his mindset was at that time, it's likely not a stretch that he would have spent most of that week extremely high and in a rather agitated state, continuing to not sleep and eat. I do know from conversations my mom had had with Taylor before she died that Alan, Sean, and Jordan were going to Hawaii for a football tournament that Jordan was in, and I believe they were to leave only days after they had died. And Taylor had mentioned in her text that Dustin was going to be going into a rehab facility for about six months. But it sounds like Sean was starting to ask questions about why he was acting so bizarre about Taylor's disappearance in particular. And remember that they had arranged for Taylor to watch the dogs while they were gone, so she had likely been trying to get a hold of Taylor herself to finalize the details about it. Sean was up early on the morning of the 31st. She had sent a text to a friend at 5.52. Sometime likely very shortly after that, Dustin came upstairs where she was sitting at the kitchen at a kitchenette table, Now I'm just going to tell you a little bit about the layout of the house. When you walk in the front door, there's a small like a short wall to your left that leads to the kitchen and then a family room area. And straight ahead from the front door is a formal living room and a set of stairs that leads up to the second level. If you turn around and now you're facing the other way and coming down the stairs immediately to your right is a short hallway that goes in between the back of the kitchen, and leads to the garage. There's a door to the stairs that go down to the basement where Dustin was staying, and then another door to the bathroom laundry area. And at the end of that small hallway is the door to the garage. He obviously had a knife on him when he came up the stairs to her. This wasn't a kitchen knife, it was a hunting knife. My theory is that Sean was very concerned about Taylor being missing and had her suspicions that Dustin was somehow involved. As a mom, I can't imagine the courage it takes to admit that to yourself and be willing to step up and let Dustin be accountable. I think it's really easy to say that if it were my kid doing anything like that, that I'd turn him in, and I I would hope that I would. But I bet I'd have at least a moment of thinking like there has to be another way. So I think Sean was going to do the right thing. And I think Dustin was having none of it. Dustin then attacked his mom by the kitchen table, pulling some of her hair out by the roots, and stabbed her six times. Almost all six of them would have been fatal on their own. Sean was 52. He then dragged her lifeless body, his own mother's body, across the hardwood floor, into the family room and put a plastic sheet over the top of her and started to try and clean up the blood with a mop and stupidly a broom. Alan, who had been asleep upstairs, came downstairs with a family border collie, Odie, trailing behind him. Now imagine what would go through your mind if you came down in the morning to get your cup of coffee and found your son, the boy that you raised and took to soccer practice and taught to ride a bike, mopping up blood from the kitchen floor, and your wife of 20 years laying dead under a sheet. Alan didn't even make it past the bottom step when he was attacked by Dustin and they fought. Alan was stabbed a total of eight times, three of them deeply into his body. During the scuffle, Odie the dog was cut on his body, a cut that would have been fatal, but he was still clinging to life many hours later when the police arrived. Odie had to be put down because his injuries were too severe. Dustin then dragged his father's body into the bathroom laundry area. Polaris, the white pit bull, was also badly injured, the one that he had owned with Taylor. I believe the theory is that the dogs were injured as collateral damage for getting in the way. But I saw the scars on Polaris myself, and to me it looked like a deliberate cut across the throat. But fortunately, he underestimated the muscle thickness of a pit bull's neck, and Polaris survived the attack and was found by police in the garage of the Hidden Valley home. She has since been adopted by another family. My sister tried to take her in for a time, but she was too traumatized, and even just the sight of blood from a paper cut could set her off. So she needed to be with an experienced pit bull owner. She's a good girl, and we're happy that she's alive and doing well. The other two brown pit bulls, there is not much known about. I don't believe either of them were injured, but I don't know their current status. I do know from Joanne that one of them, and I believe it was the one called Jevin, was not adoptable due to the trauma that he had suffered. But we don't know if he wound up in a no-kill shelter or if he had to be put down. Dustin then continued to try and clean up the blood on the stairs using a carpet cleaner. Again, my theory is that he realized that it was too much work and he was fucked. Sorry, Mom. So... He shaved his head, now I'm not sure why he did that. Maybe he wanted a new look for prison. Showered and changed out of his bloody clothes. He then packed his dog, the brown Pitbull, into his father's car with a knife and a few other items, and drove towards Taylor's apartment on the other side of the city. Stopped at a liquor store around the corner from her place and bought a bottle of whiskey. And then walked into the first doors of the apartment complex, but wasn't able to get through the second set of doors and into the apartments. So he took off his hat, took a long swig of the whiskey, and dialed nine one one.
2: Calgary please. what is the address of your emergency? Oh, uh, it's two
0: thousand
2: Apple Village Court. Okay. Okay. And for verification, can you repeat that address for me? Two thousand. Okay, and uh, is there a unit number as well, or is that the whole address? Uh, well, I mean, I'd like to be up at a certain unit, uh, but I can't get through the flexibility. Okay, um, and what's the phone number you're calling from? The phone number I'm calling from is 406649. 40- Thank you, and your last name? My last name is Duffy, D-U-P-H-I-E. And first name? Duffy. Thanks, Duffy. Uh, Yeah, tell me exactly what happened, Dustin. Uh, I murdered my girlfriend in this apartment last week, and I murdered my parents this morning. And that is where I'm going to end it. And and, what was the last part? I murdered my parents this morning in my own home. Okay, and you're there right now? No, I'm at my girlfriend's apartment. At 2000 Apple Village? Yeah. Any weapons involved or mentioned there. Uh, I do have a weapon on me. What do you have on you? All right. Any other weapons? That is all. And there a bottle. I got a bottle of whiskey, but I spilled it. And are you and everyone else safe right now? Everyone else is safe. yep. So where did this happen this morning? This morning it happened at one zero one three zero. Hidden Valley Drive, class. That's your parents' home. Are you in a unit number at this uh, 2000 Apple Village Court? Well, no. I mean, I'd like to be able to get up to 307, but I can't get through the second door. So. One moment. And where exactly are you standing right now? I'm sitting in the middle of the two doors. <laughs> In the back. <laughs> Two doors at the back of the building? My vehicle. One of my dogs is in the He's Good boy. Okay. And um, just so we know it's you when we pull up, are you a white a white male? Yeah. And you say you have a knife on you? hmm. What type of knife is it? Oh uh, exactly what type of knife it is, but it's Oh. Okay, just stay with me here. Where is the knife on? In your hands or in your pocket? Pardon? Is the knife in your hands or your pocket? No, it's in my bag. Okay, can I talk you into just leaving the bag away from you? Well, yeah. and how old are you, sir? Twenty-five. Twenty-five. How tall? Five Okay, and is medium or heavy build? Medium. Okay, and what color are our hair? Well, it was brown until I fucking shaved it off this morning, so... Okay, do you have a hat on? Not anymore. Okay, and what color shirt or jacket? Black shirt, black black and blue shoes. Okay, keep me on the phone here. Okay, and have you been drinking today? Other yeah, a couple of shots that I just had, no. Where's your girlfriend right now, up in 307? I don't know. You're trying to go and see her? I yeah. am. Okay. Okay, just keep me on the phone. You're doing well. And you just couldn't get in to go up there, I guess, then? Oh. Okay, I want you to tell me what happened, okay? What, did? what happened this morning? Morning? To be quite honest, I'm not exactly sure. I don't know why I did it. What did I do? And what did you do? I killed both of my parents. Is there anyone else in the home? No. Can you tell me what happened there? Do you need an ambulance for yourself? Do you have any injuries? Yeah, I don't have any injuries. What happened there this morning? I both of my parents to Okay, I want you to keep me on the line, and when police come by, I want you to not have anything in your hands, okay? Well, I'm gonna have my bottle on me and my smoke, my Okay, and the bag with the knife in it. Can you please leave that behind when police get there, and just come out and talk to them? Yeah somebody take me upstairs so I can say goodbye. Okay, and you'll only have your phone and smokes? And my bottle. Okay. Yeah, please don't walk out with that because they will want to you know, help you and and help me to get you up with Aaron. Help me. (laughs) Not even fucking got himself. Okay, now let me know when you see the officers there, okay? You're
0: still in the back of the building? Mm-hmm. Okay. Once police arrived at the Applewood location, Dustin initially rebuked the request for him to put his bottle down. He said, fuck you, and then took another swig. A sterner request persuaded him to put the bottle down, and then he was arrested without further incident. That sterner request, I believe, came with guns pointed at him. The police put him in handcuffs in the back of a police car. Now, I really wish I'd been able to get a copy of the audio of him in the back of the car so that you could hear from his own mouth what a douche canoe he is. But I'll just have to read you the more frustrating parts. While this was going on, additional police were dispatched to the Hidden Valley location where they had discovered Alan and Sean and poor Odie panting and sitting on Alan's body. Let's see. He immediately starts asking for a smoke. He overhears another officer referring to a black Mercedes, to which he says he wasn't in a black Mercedes and refers to that officer as fuckface. He yells at another officer to not hurt his fucking dog, says, quote, I'll start hurting myself if I don't get a smoke, end quote, to which the officer, whom we love, asks him how he would do that. And Dustin says, you think that's fucking funny, eh? I'll show you what's fucking funny. When read his rights on the murder of Taylor, he says, guilty as charged. When asked if he wants a lawyer, he said, sure, why not? He continues to complain about the lack of a cigarette and threatens to be in the back of an ambulance if he doesn't get one soon. He says, I killed three people in the last week. You think I give a fuck about myself? In total, he asks for a cigarette about 12 times in the 51 minutes that he's in the back of the police car. He never refers to Taylor, Alan, or Sean by name. He was questioned briefly and sent to the Rocky View General Hospital on suicide watch under guard. He was then later moved to the Calgary Remand Centre. On March 26, 2021, we got to read to the court our victim impact statements. My sister Joanne said in part, We are a tight family. There is a key piece missing now. We're only left with nightmares and trauma. She talked about how she'll never get to see Taylor become a mom and of all the things that she's been robbed of and the everlasting effects on her. I got about a half a word into mine and started to ugly cry, but I did manage to look Dustin in the eye when I said, We know we are not the first family, nor will we be the last. To lose a family member and to have to grieve, even someone so young with so much left to offer the world. However, Taylor did not die from a heart defect or in an accident where we could lessen our grief by telling ourselves it was just her time. Taylor died directly from the choice that Dustin made, that her time on this earth was up because he was done with her or because he wanted to move on without her. Taylor died by a choice that left her no opportunity to fight back, no time to run, without any warning it was coming, and by an action that could have no other outcome but her death. There were a million other choices Dustin could have made that day and the days following. Taylor loved you, but she no longer does. She no longer loves anyone because she's gone. She doesn't get to feel things anymore or have thoughts or dreams. She can't hug us or dance or take walks with her dogs. We will never get to see her move on from you and take on the world. The world will never get to see what Taylor could have become what she could have done with her life and for the lives of others. Lives will now go untouched by her and her story will forever remain an unfinished work. You took that from her, from us. Sean and Alan's remaining children said, you broke thousands of hearts and that they feel deeply lost and severely depressed since the killings and every holiday since has been lonely and strange. Every day I think about them, miss them, wonder what it would be like to have them around now. I have made a huge attempt to return to normal life despite all the things Dustin has caused us. Cecilia, my daughter and Taylor's cousin, gave a beautiful account of her memories of Taylor and told Dustin,
3: I will never have new stories to tell about her. I will never see her smile again. I will never hear her laugh again. And I'll never hold her babies in my arms. Instead, I'm left with the images of what was done to her. What you, Dustin... Did to her. You ended her life, and then you left her there, all alone, and went on with your life like nothing happened. How could you do that to someone who loved you, to someone that you claimed to love? You made your choice to take Taylor from us, and even then you weren't done. You took your mother and your stepdad, the two people who would have been by your side until the very end. Now your brothers have lost not only their mom and dad, but they're losing you too, and I grieve with them. My heart aches with theirs. Dustin, I will never understand why you made the choices you made. I want you to feel our pain and use it to become a better person. I want you to never forget about what you've done and how many people have been hurt by your actions. But I want you to take that memory and grow from this. Go to school, learn a new skill, find a hobby, talk to God. I don't care what it is, but from here on out, I want you to spend every day of your life working towards not being the monster you were.
0: Dustin cried during all of the proceedings, but I didn't find it really to be remorse, just kind of regret for himself. When asked if he had anything to say, he stood up, barely glancing at us, and mumbled, I'm not going to stand here and try and ask you guys for forgiveness for what I did because I understand what happened is inexcusable. If I could go back and take back everything I did and give my life in order to bring back these three beautiful fucking souls, I wouldn't be standing here today. I'm sorry. I think... I think my mouth dropped open when he didn't refer to them by name, and then had the gall to swear in court. This is his one chance to say something meaningful, and he refers to them just as beautiful fucking souls. I now understand what the word flabbergasted actually means. On April 8, 2021, Dustin was sentenced to a life sentence with no eligibility for parole for 35 years. Justice Glenn Pullman took into account that Dustin had no criminal history, which was surprising actually, and his young age and gave him some credit for entering a guilty plea sparing us the trial. But he said, quote, He committed three consecutive murders of members of his intimate circle, each exceeding in brutality and violence the one before it. The callous abandonment of Miss Toller's body for five days followed by the murders of two more family members are uniquely reprehensible. The adverse considerations are what appear to be a cold, methodical approach to following up his murders, with showering, some attempts to clean the scenes of evidence, and the demonstrated capability of impulsive and violent conduct. The effect of this killing spree on friends and family of the victim is incalculable. Dustin is currently serving his sentence at the Edmonton Institution, a maximum security facility that houses about 200 inmates, including terrorist Omar Kadar, Harvey Andres of the Grim Reapers motorcycle gang, who managed to escape twice, and serial killer Alan Legree. Since this prison opened in 1978, there have been six riots, the last in July 2008, when two rival gangs attacked each other. Eight inmates were stabbed, and one was shot feel like that you got what you felt justice would look like for you or or did you have an idea in your mind of what you thought justice would look like?
4: I have actually been um, coming out as a sober woman lately so um, that whole journey has been different for me that that's been about uh, forgiveness and understanding addiction and how that all works so with that initially with Dustin when he went out for being when he was being tested to see if he was criminally responsible hmm. I lost my mind and I thought this this can't be he could be out in five to ten years absolutely not you know I I used to be in that whole criminal world I'm like who can I reach out to to go and take care of this and then I started thinking about forgiveness and and compassion and started doing a lot of work some grief recovery stuff some trauma counseling some breath work things all that kind of stuff And, and then so what it came down to was if dustin could change like so i know a man i don't know if i shared this with you or not but i know a man who uh in a blackout killed his wife and three kids Did life in prison. At that time, it was 25 years was the max that you could do. Got out. But he found recovery um, and completely changed his life. And it's gone on to help hundreds of men. So he works in the field. He So I reached out to him and said, would you you talk to, to Dustin? Would you work with him if he wanted to find recovery? And of course he would. So what if Dustin... Could find recovery and go on and help hundreds of men. I pray for that for him. So the fact that he got 35 years, I think that's great. That's, I think that's fantastic. But I do hope that in that whole, in that 35 years, that he finds um, that he finds peace, that he finds um, his own. Forgiveness, and you know, I, I, I just, I hope that he can turn this around and go on and maybe help some other
0: men. And what if he he finds his peace, but doesn't use it to help others? Like, what if he just comes to terms with it for himself and and serves out his thirty-five years and
4: and gets out? And yeah, I think that's fine too. I mean, um, so. Gord, my partner, knows um, someone who went to school with Dustin and knew him as a kid and and even from talking to his mom. I mean, he was... it's And it's like most addicts. You start out as a good, decent human being. The drugs get a hold of you. It, it messes with your mind and and you start um, going down to that level, the level, same level as the people you're hanging out with and the bravado and the toughness and just all of that, that stuff that goes with it. And um, so, yeah, I mean, I I, I have compassion for him. I, I, I can understand how it... I mean, you lived with me. You saw how I got, right? <laughs> you know, it dropped Yeah, but you
0: didn't kill anybody.
4: No, but I probably could have. I probably could have. Yeah. There's the anger that goes along with it. And uh, what you, you get impulsive. You get you just don't think. You know? Well, and I
0: think one of the hardest parts from someone like me who has never had an issue with substance abuse, um, it's the, it's everybody else's fault. part yeah. That I think yeah. that is, is so hard to, I don't know, to deal with somebody who has substance abuse issues. Cause you're just like, how come you can't take any responsibility? And I, and I think that that's kind of where I am with Dustin. So, um, yeah, I, I don't believe in capital punishment. I'm certainly glad that we don't have that option here because um, I don't wish him any any death that way. If he were to get shanked in prison, would I lose sleep <laughs> over it? No, I probably really wouldn't. He really has nobody left to, to mourn for him, but he's still a human being, so I can't say that I would lay awake at night p- praying for it, but I that finding that forgiveness. And I know that forgiveness is more about for myself than it is for him. Mm -hmm. I'm still struggling with that because he took out, like he took the future away from us that of all those things that we don't ever get to, to know about how Taylor was going to turn out and, and if she was going to have kids and what they were going to turn out like. And, when I think that that's what's so hard about murder as a, as a cause of death for someone is that it is 100% somebody's fault. You can't blame it on God. You can't just say that it was, you know, her time or whatever. It's, it's his fault. Yeah. and it, it, That is difficult to, but so I, you know, I, that you, it takes a lot of courage, I think, to get there where you're at to be so forgiving and, and so hopeful.
4: But my belief is that it's, it's on the rest of us. Uh, to make some good come out of it, mm-hmm.
0: yeah. And I believe that your your level of forgiveness, I think Taylor would be very proud of that because I think it, I think was, Taylor would have. She probably already has forgiven him.
4: Yeah, that that was the driver for a, for a lot of it. When I so I handed to his lawyer this fellow's phone number with a note that said, "If you're ready to get some help, this man has been exactly where you are." and he's willing to talk to you and and help you. And my kids were, a lot of people were furious with me. Why would I do that? Why would I offer him help at the sentencing after what he did? And it it all came down to that's what Taylor would want. Like That is what Taylor would want. Taylor would want me to give him this fellow's number and and a hand out, or like to say, if you yeah. need, if you're ready, here's the help. But it's on you. I mean, and then my part was done. I, w- I walked away. My part was done. I did what Taylor would want me to do, and I'm done.
0: Yeah, yeah. Because that's maybe part of the issue with is that. Taylor w- would have extended the olive branch, but she wouldn't have put the accountability on it. She was, <laughs> yeah, 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 <laughs> she yeah, was no. just all about extending olive branches. So um, yeah, that's kind of how she was.
4: Had we been able to get Dustin some help, this probably wouldn't have happened, but there's a lot of No,
0: I do, I do believe that. Like, I, I do believe that if he had been sober, he probably wouldn't have had any mental health struggles. No. Um, and this this wouldn't have happened. Because when we first met him, I didn't have a terrible first impression of him who's young kind of immature but i mean who is ego
4: you can see a lot of ego on him but yeah Yeah. and i think
0: that that's what leads then to making those choices right to make choices to try drugs and
4: you know here drug addiction is classified as an illness and you have drug-induced psychosis but yet you're still fully responsible in the courts and there's no help offered. I just, not that I'd want Dustin to get out early, I just think that it's very interesting that it seems like a double standard. I finally decided to get a little bit more vocal in the recovery community because I lived through this sober. I, I have yeah. been totally 100% sober, no nothing, like nothing. Yeah. Um, so it is possible and and finally at that point too, where I can go to meetings and not hear people bitching about their day and want to throttle them like you're <laughs> having a bad day because you know you can't find your other sock. <laughs> yeah. That was tough for a while. yeah, but yeah, yeah, there's definitely been a journey in all of it. and I'm really good now like I've it's funny since since this after the sentencing i was crazy for a little while but for the last few months really centered really balanced really
0: okay yeah you talk to taylor much through your meditation and that kind of thing
4: yeah i had a dream about her the other day too uh she was standing there and she was trying to to tell me something and yeah yeah
0: what do you think she'd think of me doing true crime podcasts especially oh i think she'd
4: think it was amazing
0: she was always my biggest fan. Like she she yeah. read my blog and she was, you know, she was always like recommending me to her friends. So I think she'd be okay with it. I don't think. Yeah, I think problem. she would too. Yeah. No,
4: no. She'd be quite, she'd be quite
0: proud of you. Do you
4: feel that
0: we got
5: justice? Uh, yes, I do. I mean, what more can you expect? I I, I know it, it doesn't pay for what, uh, what Dustin has taken from us. But, I mean, there's no more a human being can do than put them in jail nowadays. And there will be a time when he will be judged, really judged. Yeah.
0: And what do you think of Dustin now? Like, do you have you reached a point of forgiveness or mm-hmm. are you just.
5: Uh, yeah, I I never did have any hate or anything like that. I, I don't know why that was, but like I never did like him. Mm-hmm. But even when this happened I didn't have any hate or and and another thing is I can't believe it when when I heard judge say that he was giving him 35 years I said out loud and Ted was sitting there oh the poor dear you know and I don't know why I ever said
0: that
5: you know because he's a human being too but And, In, and he
0: ruined his life like he, he
5: yes he did he ruined his own life as well uh yeah uh, I mean so yeah yeah uh, it's yeah. never going to be he's never well I shouldn't say never because he could straighten around but uh yeah. that's up to him
0: I'm not I'm not angry and I know that forgiveness is is for me it's not for him but I still feel just, I'm just mad and just upset and disappointed. And just like, you know, that he took, that he, that he did such a stupid, stupid thing. And yeah. And another thing
5: about that forgiveness, it makes you feel like you didn't don't care anymore about Taylor, but it, it, I mean, that's not right. I mean, that's not what it's all about. Uh, Like you say, forgiving somebody is helping you. Just as much as it's helping the other person, and so yeah, uh, you can't. Taylor would
0: want us to well, forgive, that, and that's what I said to Joanna. I said Taylor already forgave, like I know she did. She, yeah, she was so forgiving, um, which is how she kind of continued to stay in the relationship. Is she just she, yeah. she she just constantly wanted to give people another chance and another chance, and that tomorrow was going to be a better day. Yeah, yeah, and so I guess we have to by by being as forgiving that is honoring her yeah uh, by doing what she she would yeah. have done so yeah, that's yeah, right. it's, it's a way to think about it and try to try to bring that forgiveness for myself but i'm still i'm still struggling with it i'm still still yeah. a little a little a little pissy <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
5: yeah you know it it'll, it'll come it'll come but it's uh as long as you're not letting it eat you up uh, like if you're just only thinking no. it every once in a while and
0: and, yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's really more just a, a sadness right of just a disappointment that things turned out the way they did yeah um I think that's all that it is because i I do feel robbed of of Taylor's future yes and, and watching yeah. her life unfold and and yeah. that's, it just sucks it's just a sucky situation and it's I don't know if it helps or not, but when i I sort of I asked both my mom and um my sister where they are with with how they feel about dustin and the the situation and and they've both come to a place of forgiveness actually and the reason is because that's what taylor would have wanted and that's the type of person that she was
1: it makes sense it it does and honestly like getting the closure from you guys that you guys are okay it it helps with us
0: I am so proud of my big sister for her courage and the forgiveness that she's shown and for coming out the other side of this still sober. I've been sober my whole life and I'm not at the point of forgiveness that she's at. One thing that I've noticed in the process of telling her story and going over the notes and the evidence and reliving it has actually been therapeutic for me. Listening to Joanne and my mom talk about forgiveness and their feelings of letting it go with love has really helped me to start to get to the point where I don't automatically think of Dustin and get angry. It's really just a sadness now. Disappointment. I don't really know how to classify the feelings. Sometimes I'm empty and sometimes I'm full. It depends, I guess, on what memories creep into my mind. I really appreciate your time and your your willingness to share your stories. I know that that's not easy.
1: I I actually do want to tell you something. Um, yes. That Taylor told me her middle name because she's Taylor Marcella Kimberly Toller. Yeah. That Kimberly is named after you. Yes. Yeah. 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 She yeah. is. Yeah. So as soon as you messaged me, I I honestly felt so honored because she was named after you, and you messaged me. I think she actually referred to you as like her cool auntie. Well, that makes yeah. me feel
0: good. Yeah. <laughs> well, and grandma. Like, I mean, how many kids are hanging out with their grandma, right? She, oh my she, gosh. She, yeah. oh, her grandma. Um, they had their cabin
1: and she had asked them if I could come out to the cabin with them. They said absolutely. Like for sure. Yeah. So I, I went out with with her to the cabin and it was just me and her and her grandparents and yeah. um getting to meet all her friends that lived in that or like had cabins in that area. Yeah. And that was one of my like really good memories of her. Yeah.
0: There are a number of people on behalf of our family that I want to thank for their service and dedication. Detective Lacey Murdoch. I love her. She is an amazing detective, a total badass, yet showed us so much compassion and cares so deeply for the family's losses in every case that she works. Detective Dave Wood, Constables Joe Poligla, Stuart Whitmire, Clinton Burlam, Miguel Lay, Chris McKay, Rebecca Morrison, Cade Seeley, Bruce Benham, Ariel Shade, Andrew LeBaron, Stephen Ipp and Sean Cull, prosecutors Shane Parker and Megan Rydell, Crown Prosecutor Paralegal Judith Harrison.
1: A couple years ago, uh, like after I like the whole thing with Taylor, um and, and Dustin and her passing, my other friend had a an incident at a night like at a bar for her birthday with her boyfriend and mm-hmm. they they tell me now it was an accident and like it was just because he was trying like she was freaking out and he was trying to like calm her down and it was an accident whatever but when it happened I was just so shook that I called her parents and I told them exactly what happened and I told them that how worried I was because I didn't want her to be the next one I, I don't want her to be the next one I see on the news because like that is, it's, it's scary. Like, it really is. It is very, it's very scary. Like one thing can lead to another and you, you don't expect it.
0: Sources for today's episode is from the Calgary police media releases and from open court documents. All other details, recollections and quotes are from my own recordings and permission have been granted for use. No information of an evidentiary nature gathered at the preliminary hearing has been released as it is under a publication ban. And that was the murder of my beautiful and amazing niece, Taylor Toller, and of Sean Boschuk, Alan Penny Legend, and Odie. And thank you so much for listening to my little project, and I will see you back here soon. If you or someone you know is experiencing intimate partner violence, please seek help through your local police service. In Calgary, you can contact Sagacy or the Calgary United Way. Visit the website at womenscentercalgary.org for resources on shelters and to help with creating a safety plan. There is a safe exit button on the upper right of the website that will turn your page back to Google search should you feel unsafe while researching your options.